Let me give you three words to crush any five-year-old's Christmas. You ready for this? Unicorns aren't real. I hope I didn't crush any 50-year-old's Christmases. This was a conversation I had with my five-year-old daughter last year. Darling, unicorns aren't real. Now, I'm not trying to be a mean dad, but she was peppering, like she had a Christmas list. And unicorn was like number one on the Christmas list. And every time I saw her, Daddy, can we get a unicorn? Daddy, can we get a unicorn? Daddy, can we get a unicorn? Can we look at some unicorns? Daddy, can we get a unicorn? And finally, like, I, I, I just felt like I had to let her know. Unicorns are real. Now, this is what Advent's about. Did you know that? <laughs> Why did I need to say this to her? Because she needed to know... I was worried about a disappointed five-year-old girl who didn't understand that sometimes it doesn't matter how much money you got, how much resources you have, you just can't buy some stuff. Let that settle for a second. Sometimes it don't matter how big your 401k is, don't matter what your relationship status is, it don't matter all the things that you can have, degrees and stuff, there are things of our soul that this earth cannot provide for. And this is what Advent teaches us, is there are some things that only heaven can bring and the earth can't do it for us. And I wonder how many of us sit in an Advent season disappointed because we have tried to purchase things like metaphorical unicorns in our life and we wonder why we can't get the thing that we thought our money could buy for us. And this is what Advent does. Advent, more than a theological premise, as a spiritual formation element, pushes us into a place where I will learn to save my money from buying earthly unicorns to wait for my money, wait for the one who is coming who can actually provide and satisfy my soul. You see, Advent teaches me to reject the urge for the things of this earth to wait for the things of heaven that I've been uniquely fashioned to have. And I wonder how many of us have missed our Advent moment because we have believed the lie that I can buy a unicorn. Rather than stepping into the place of rejecting an earthly thing for a heavenly inheritance. About 18 years ago or so, we had just launched our Saturday night service. I was the pastor of that Saturday night service. I was doing pastoral things, but the finances hadn't aligned quite yet for me to come on staff of the church, so I was selling windows. Now, I'm not talking about windows to the soul. I'm not talking about windows to heaven. I'm talking about windows that go in your house. And I was at like a, a Wawa getting gas or something, and some lady starts talking to me. I'm, I'm a total introvert, so I'm like not really interested in people talking to me, but she was talking to me, right? And so here I am trying to get my thing, and this lady asks me, hey, what do you do? Now, I, I was so 
in turmoil over the fact that I wasn't doing vocationally what I wanted to do. That through thine own lips, I spoke not truth. I said, well, I'm a pastor. Now, I was doing pastoral stuff. I was doing pastoral things, but I knew what this lady was asking me. And out of my lack of peace, my mouth doth spoke iniquity. And the real issue wasn't whether I had the job or not. The real issue was I had to learn to be settled in the peace that he brings regardless of my external circumstance. And this element of peace, as we just heard Sonny so eloquently talk about and, and, and proclaim to us, is maybe one of Advent's hallmark elements. That peace comes and settles our soul, settles our relationships, and settles our being that we can then navigate all of the unhealthy stuff around us. We heard the Advent reading earlier today that, that there's one coming and his name literally is the Prince of Peace. You see, peace is not a feeling. Peace is a person. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is a person. Love is not a feeling. Love is a person. And these are fruits. These are, are external elements that come from when we are near the person of love, the person of joy, and the person of peace. We so often pursue the fruit rather than the person. And so when Isaiah prophesies in 900 years ago and he says there is one coming and he's not bringing peace, he is peace. And when he is present, peace is also present. Isaiah 9 says that there's one coming who, who, who has a government and a rulership on his shoulders. And his name is this, the Prince of Peace. And the increase of this government, the rule of the one who is peace, would not have an end. The Hebrew actually is much more colorful in this conversation. The English has some limitations. The word increase in the Hebrew means to multiply something over and over again. And government has a sense of rule and dominion. So when we add this together, this is really how this text could read. For the ever-increasing and ever-expanding rule of peace will not stop and will exert dominance over those who are willing to be served under this Prince of Peace's rule. That's the advent of the Prince of Peace coming. Those who sit under his rule sing a song of peace that transcends doctor's appointments, that transcends negative card statements, that transcends loss of employment, that transcends the relationship status, that transcends the unhealthy emotions we find ourselves getting ourselves in. So this is our song that we sing today, the song of peace. We're endeavoring on a four-week series called the Songs of Advent. Last week we looked at the song of faith that Zechariah sang, and this week, if you're taking notes, it's called the Song of Peace. And we're looking at the angel's song that they sang, that we would see 
the three relationships with peace. I believe that we are in a world that is dominated by fear and anxiety and insecurity and our song of peace, the peace that Advent brings, may be the primary calling card that the world needs to hear. As a sign and a wonder of one who came to us. If you have your Advent-approved Bibles, pull those out. Luke chapter 2, that's the kind with paper and leather. Let me give some quick context to Advent chapter 2. Caesar Augustus has made a decree. Everybody go, got to go back to the home for registration. Joseph, who's from Bethlehem, returns to Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2 now takes about nine months after the angel has come to Zechariah and has come to, to, to Mary. And now we find ourselves, Mary has been born. They are in a manger. Jesus has now, or sorry, Mary hasn't been born. Jesus has been born. Get the order right. And now some angels get some news. Verse 8. And in the same region, that's speaking of Jerusalem, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Somebody say, all people. For unto you, uh, uh, unto you this day is born in the city of David, referencing Jerusalem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And verse 13, and suddenly there with the angel was a multitude of heavenly hosts, the armies literally of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. Verse 15, the shepherds say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see what has happened. They find, verse 16, Mary and Joseph and this babe in a manger. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they made known to everybody the saying that had been told to them. Verse 18, and all who heard about this wondered at what the shepherds told them. Three relationships with peace, that the Prince of Peace comes, that we would sing. The first is this, peace with ourselves. You better settle the war inside of you. Nearly every aspect of our life flows in and out of our understanding of us. How we relate to God flows out of who we see ourselves as. How we relate to others flows in and out of who we see ourselves as. How I respond at times to my own unhealthy emotions and stuff around me determines how do I see me. And all of our spiritual lives comes in and out of the space. Consider that in Genesis chapter 3, primary point of Eve's temptation was her identity. If you eat of this, you'll be like him. She already was like him. Fast forward a few thousand years in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is in the wilderness. If you are the son of God, then you would do this. How much of our issues come? Because we don't really know who we are. How many broken relationships have we severed, have we hurt, have we harmed because we don't know who we are? 
How many rabbit holes or unicorns have we chased because we don't really know who we are? The first impact and part of Christ's advent is to uncover who we are and the sense of identity in the song of peace is present about me. We have a generation, we have a people and family, we have a church running to and fro trying to figure out who they are. And we let any kind of word tell us who we think that we are that makes us feel good. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke is doing something here. He says, the angels came to shepherds. Now this is more than a biographical, more than a history lesson. He's trying to show us that Christ's advent breaks the box of all of the restrictions we have put around others and maybe more specifically all of the restrictions we have put around ourselves. Matthew does something similar. Consider this, Matthew chapter one. He's writing, a, he's writing the genealogy and what does he do? He includes three Gentile women into the process of the son of God coming. He's breaking the boxes and the limits and the lids that all women have felt over so many centuries to say I'm bringing into place that the womb of Gentile women would be the line and possibility of the Messiah who would come. Matthew chapter 2, he then says not just women are, are, are seeing themselves rightly now through a lens. Now the Gentiles are as well. And it's a bunch of Persian magi, right? The group that sought to annihilate the Jews themselves. They would get the very first sign in the heavens of one coming. See, he's including the women. He's including the Gentiles and then Luke picks up on the same prophetic agenda and says, but now there's a social class. They're the socially disenfranchised, the economically pushed aside, the, the religiously impure, the heaven's advent. The angels didn't come to a priest. The angels didn't come to a prophet. The angels didn't come to a king. The angels came to a bunch of poor shepherds on the side of a hill to say, you are so important, you get the front row seat to my coming. You see, I wonder what kind of song of peace was emerging out of the shepherds' mouths as they heard the angels sing to them. A little bit about shepherds and how it relates to us. Shepherds were the complete social fringe people of Israel's day. Number one, they were exceptionally poor. There was not money in the context of shepherding. You barely made ends meet. And often they didn't just sleep outside with their flock for protection. They slept outside because they didn't have a home. Secondly, they were religiously and righteously impure. Now, at the time, Israel had all kinds of religious laws around your purity. Sheep don't equal pure. I mean, we don't have a dog at my house because I'm not picking up poop in a bag. The kind of shepherding that takes place requires all kinds of animal care that I don't want to talk about. And because of this, they consistently stayed in a place of righteous impurity and could not come to the temple for worship. And thus were shunned by the religious leaders. Thirdly, from their time of enslavement in Egypt, Egyptians had a culture which diminished those who took care of animals. And so many rabbis began to teach 
that those who were shepherds were actually cursed, were actually pushed aside. And so you have religious fringe, economic fringe, and ritually fringe folk. And these were the people that the angels came to say, glory to God, peace has come to you. Now here's where I think this lands for us. I don't believe the song of peace was just for us to look at those in those demographics differently, though that's true. I think we put ourselves in as the shepherds. What do we need to break about our alignment with some untruth about us? What label have you been wearing that some grandfather, that some stepmother, that some teacher, that some leader put on top of you and you have been operating in a place of insecurity and fear about yourself? What kind of coping mechanism and self-harm have you done to yourself because you dislike yourself, because, of, because you hate yourself, because you, you disregard yourself, you've let a lid come over your life from somebody else, and today the angels say to you, be settled, heaven has come just to you, to settle how you see yourself. How you see Yourself, we cannot afford to entertain a single thought for a single moment that does not align with what God says about us. Let me push a bit, a bit farther. So, so these shepherds specifically were those in Bethlehem. The, Bethlehem was known only for a single thing. They produced the best sheep for the sacrificial offering to God for the sins of Israel. Now catch this. The very ones who needed the sheep from them were the very ones that shunned them the most. Here's how this song of peace happens. Can you be at rest even when the people who you know need you the most despise you? Somebody you find out said some words about you through a company email thread and a company text thread, and you know in 10 months, they're going to make a request, and they're going to need my signature, but I still can be at peace even though they dislike me, though they need me. Can we be at rest? Because when he came and the Prince of Peace came, he sang a song that you are well pleased. And it does not matter what they say about you for this to be true. I believe this Advent, and I believe specifically today, there are some in our midst, online and in the room, you are battling self-hatred and self-harm. And it's because you've believed a lie about yourself. And you need to hear the Prince of Peace sing a song to you about you. And he's waiting for you to sing that same song with him. It's time to stop wearing the labels. But it's not just peace with us. It's also peace with others. You see, we got to settle the war of those around us as well. See, Advent is not just offered for us in a vacuum. Advent is offered. The Prince of Peace is offered. The Song of Peace is meant to also be sung with other people as well. I know you can sing real good by yourself in the shower and in your car. But you are also supposed to sing with a company of others. And Jesus' advent to us internally then is what allows us to then bridge the gap of others 
who we have strained relationships with. Might this be what Jesus had in mind when he said, blessed are the sons of God, those who mirror me, those who are now adopted in me, for they would be peacemakers. Look at what the shepherds do upon getting the sense of self settled. Verse 15 through 17. The angels go away, and what do they do? They go over to the very places that they would be shunned by. And they see him, and it says, and they made known the saying that had been said to them about peace on the earth. And verse 18, and all who heard it, somebody say all. It means they told everybody. Not like just the folk who they knew kind of accepted them. I love this. This word known that Luke uses is this word to publish abroad or to make known thoroughly. They didn't just send an email from the junk email that they have address that they give to other folks to sign up for things that they thought they knew probably would fall into like some kind of clutter box of somebody else. I'm going to make peace with someone else that way. They didn't use a phone from somebody else's phone number. They didn't send a snail mail. No, they personally went and told all thoroughly that peace had come to them and thus peace had come to others. Here's the question for us. Who do you need to make thoroughly known that peace has come to your heart? And thus, peace must be present with you and them. What's the strained relationship that you have just refused to try and heal? That Advent is saying, no, 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 them too. Them Two. Paul would Paul would say that as he described Jesus' coming in Ephesians 2, he says, For he himself, he is our peace. He has made both Jew and Gentile, those with enmity with each other, one, and has broken down in his own body the wall of hostility that these people and groups set up for themselves. And he removed the social and economic constraints, he says in verse 14. The, the, the man-made rules that divided people, he demolished those, that by doing so, he created one new man, verse 15, thus making peace. And what happened, verse 16, that he would reconcile all of the divisiveness, all of the anger, all of the frustration, all of the things among people in his own self, thus bringing us to God. God. In Paul's context of a multi-ethnic church, it was not like ours. It wasn't just groups of ethnic groups together. Paul's context would have been the Roman oppressor and the Jewish oppressed together worshiping as one. That's what he would have been. Can you imagine the amount of grace and hostility that needed to be left at the door when the oppressor worshiped with the oppressed? When the oppressed was actually the leaders of the place and the oppressors had to come underneath those who oppressed them? The kind of humility and forgiveness and hostility that need to be removed. The kind of social song that would be sung that would have flew in the face of all the other Roman citizens and places in the streets. This is what Paul had in mind. 
This is what the song of peace comes. And I believe the, 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 the sign and the wonder that Christ has come is not just the internal peace. It's our willingness to attempt to bridge the gap of enmity that we might have with somebody else. Your homework assignment. Number one, who's the relationship you need to engage this week? Not by email. Not by text message. Not by walking down the hallway and announcing something loudly. But to say, we have ought. And we need to try and work it out. Because that's what the song of peace came to do. To sing with others. Secondly to this. Maybe you are called to be an ambassador of peace where you are. Maybe you're called to the governmental field and you are called to be a peacemaker there. Maybe you are meant to be the peacemaker of all the fights happening around your office that you didn't start. <laughs> your workplace, your call as a peacemaker, the song of peace, you're, I'm, not, I'm not just helping to bridge gaps of me to other relationships that I need to, I'm helping to bridge gaps between person A and person B. And lastly, can we also commit to contend for places who are so bound up in hostility? Maybe this week, parents, you gather your kids around and you pray for the peace in the Middle East, the place where Gaza and Israel, and there's so much carnage is happening. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about peace where hostility is. Maybe, maybe you gather together and pray for the Russian-Ukraine war with your kids and you teach them this is what it looks like. Families, life groups, and you gather together and pray for the war and the hostility happening in Nigeria and other places where there is conflict, there is war, there is hatred, there is killing. We as a body of believers can contend for other places to have the peace that maybe we have a bit in our space. Where do we need to sing the song of peace for others? Lastly, it's not just peace with ourselves. It's not just peace with others. Ultimately, this is peace with God. And we got to settle the war with him. Now maybe that phrase sits you a little bit funny. Like, what do you mean war with him? Here's what I would suggest. If we don't understand our condition prior, this phrase makes no sense. Scripture is clear. Prior to your salvation, you were at war with him. His righteousness was so profound and your depravity was so profound, nothing but enmity and hostility could describe it. And Advent came. Motivation was love. Peace was the goal. We'll say it again. Love sent the Prince of Peace to come, but peace with him was the goal. The angels when they declare to God, excuse me, declare to the shepherds, this is what's going to happen. Today, one who is born, who is your Savior. Gabriel would say to Mary, this is what you're going to name him. You're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because he would forgive and save his people from their sins. 
Glory to God on the highest. Peace to those who, to whom? Those whom he is now pleased with. Those who have the issue of sin removed from their life. This is what the song of peace really is. And, 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 and ultimately, the song that we sing about ourselves and the song that we sing to others only flow out of knowing that I have peace with God. John would say this, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Here's where I want us to land today. In a moment, we're going to partake of communion. Maybe we have just got so oversaved that we have lost the weight of our salvation. Maybe we've sat through so many worship songs, been in so many prayer gatherings, we've heard so many altar calls that we've just lost the awe and wonder that there was a moment where I was destined for hell. In fact, that's really what I deserved. And he came to save me. He came to remove the iniquity from my life. I think we forget that. We become so familiar with salvation that we lose the weight of salvation. Might this be what the psalmist had in mind when he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and the first thing I'm going to remember, the first thing that will come from my lips is you forgive my iniquities. Not that you heal me, not that you provide for me, not that you do this for me, but you forgave my sins. And I wonder today, this Advent 2023, this weekend, where do we need a fresh awe and wonder at the fact that he saved your soul from hell? Not in like some sort of way that you pick it up and bear it and grin it. But a sense of, he saved me. He, he, he saved me. He came to do something I could not do for myself. He saved me. And that's why it's called the Eucharist table. That's why it's called the place of giving thanks because the Prince of Peace came to save me. And I've not grown so spiritually mature that I lose the awe and wonder of my sins being saved. That's the point of communion in Advent. To reenact, to re-encounter salvation. When Jesus himself would give Paul the words, he would say, you're going to gather, you're going to partake, you're going to do so in remembrance. This word, remember, to experience something today as if it just happened today. And Paul says, I know it happened 2,000 years ago. I know it happened before. But when you partake, you will recall, you will enact, you will encounter it like it happened now. And then what does he say? And you're going to keep doing it until the second advent comes when he comes again. I wonder what fresh sense of thankfulness of the weight of our sin being relieved from our 
responsibility would be found at this table today as you come to say I have peace with him and let that song wash over my soul to know I am at rest with my Savior. Father in heaven, we thank you that here at your table, first and second advent are realized together. May you make us a people who remember that you sang a song of our sins being removed in our lives. Come now, Spirit of God, and act it afresh. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.